and welcome to From the Rookery End, brought to you by The Athletic. Now, this is a different From the Rookery End. We are doing it after there not being a Watford match, because uh, today is Saturday, and at lunchtime, Watford were due to play Leicester City in the Premier League. But all top flight and elite football competition was cancelled or postponed uh, yesterday by the authorities. Uh, and that's uh, what's going to stay like until at least the 3rd of April, if not a little bit longer. So how do you fill your time as a podcaster? Well, we'll see what happens. But Colin is with me. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening, Mike. Hello to you. And Jason. Uh, good evening. Uh, and uh, we are all, not self-isolating because of illness, but we're all at our own houses, hence why we might sound a little bit different. But we are in this position, Colin. Uh, Mike and I were discussing it on Thursday. It's now definite that the, the season has been suspended. Where Where's your head at about the now and, and, and the future? It's very confused. And, and I feel that... The, I feel well. I feel confused. I'm I'm currently doing a um, a graduation show for the National Film and Theatre School in Beaconsfield. So travelling out to Beaconsfield every morning to work on these little scenes that the graduating screenwriters have put together for their graduation show, which is to be to be performed at Soho Theatre. And you know, every day I go um, across London to Marylebone Station, get on the train, go to Beaconsfield, and go into a building full of hundreds of people. And that's all. And everyone's like pretty cool with all that. Uh, and then other things are being clamped down. So I feel that there's a lot of mixed messages, but obviously the straightforward thing is that you've got to take precautions to protect yourself and the people that you that you look after or, you know, family members. But what's uh, what I found interesting was that the government simply, uh, and, and slightly reflecting what Nigel Pearson said, and I thought he made a very, very strong statement in his press conference, but basically what he was saying was I don't think the government are being strong enough. They've left it up to the Premier League to make this decision instead of saying, after consultation, we think this is the right thing to do. Instead, what's happened is that there's been lots of cases of players and one high-profile manager who definitely has it, some may or may not have it. And in the end, the Premier League have had to have their own emergency meeting and say, okay, we're going to cancel games for the next three weeks. There's an international break in the middle of that. So effectively, if we do come back on the 4th of April, we'll only have lost two games. But... It's really about the contact and the moving around and the you know and the going into the pubs and the cafes and all those things that surround football that makes it sensible. Firstly, you're protecting the players by stopping uh, infected. You know, if someone's infected at your club, then obviously you all have to isolate yourself. Therefore, you you can't come into train and you can't prepare for a football match. So you, on that level, you're protecting the integrity of the sport because you're not putting out weakened teams because half your players are all at home. At the same time, you're protecting not only the people that come to the game, but all the people that are, uh, are that surround the people that come to the game. So, for instance, if you've got elderly parents, you go to a football match, then you come back, and then your mum rings up and says, can you come over and help me? And you go, well, I can't come over because I went to a football match. Obviously, you've got to protect people. So it seems like the Premier League have made a very sensible decision to postpone for three weeks, and then after three weeks to kind of look at what the situation is in terms of whether we've peaked, whether we're on the downside of the of the of this um, pandemic, or whether there'll be a need to go for another three weeks, and then maybe another three weeks, so they seem to be acting in a sensible way, and I, I'm all I'm I'm right behind the uh, the cancellation of these games. But Colin, we we have a season that is incomplete. How do you feel the best way to to complete it is if we can't go back in two weeks' time? I suspect that. If we can't play football 
by the end of April. That means in Europe, so Champions League and all of that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that at that point they will they will postpone the Euros. So if they postpone the Euros, then there may be an opportunity to, to catch those games up at a later date. But the knock-on effect of that, if we play those games in August, is then you finish the season in August, teams haven't got time really to pre- prepare properly for the new season. What? How does it affect the window? So my, my personal feeling, this is very much my own personal opinion about it, if we can't play games until, say, the end of April, in other words, like normally a couple of weeks before the end of the season, we've still got eight games to play, plus FA Cup games, plus Europa League games. And if that's the case, and I think the season should just be stopped, there's going to be winners and losers in that. Of course there are. Liverpool will no doubt be awarded the Premier League trophy because they're so far ahead, but there'll always be an asterisk next to it. But I don't think you could relegate teams on the basis of a 30-game season. So you would just say... This is my own, per- I say again, my own personal opinion. I think you would just say, right, the season is done. Th- these are the positions. So these clubs will go in the championship, in the Champions League. These will go in the Europa League, but no one will get relegated. The real losers are the, are the teams in the championship and in League One and League Two who are, you know, on the verge of promotion. They'll have to wait another season. It seems incredibly unfair. Maybe they can be compensated in some way, but I don't see how you can finish, if we can't play these games until the end of April, say, then how are you going to get those games in before, basically, the kind of middle of July? I don't think there's a, a huge amount to catch up. It's, at the worst case scenario, I think it's eight games, and you can do that in three weeks. Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. You, know, you have to remove the whole thing about you know, the, the Champions League and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And then you can stick the, the FA Cup semi-final and final, uh, one, on a, one on a Tuesday night, uh, do it at, not at Wembley, do it somewhere else, and a final the following Sunday. It's all doable. Well, I think you're being a bit optimistic if you're setting a kind of end of May, middle of June deadline. I, can't, I don't see how you can get... It's going to be very... It's, again, there'll be winners and losers in there. People say, well, it's the same for every club, but it won't be. It won't be because you might get an injury, which if you've got a week to recover, you can play. But if you've got a game on Tuesday, that player can't play. And that might affect them negatively. So this isn't a normal season now. It's not normal that we're having to play eight games in three weeks. What I'm saying is, if you try to force all those games into a short space of time, you're going to have more clubs saying, it's not fair. It's not fair. Because I didn't have my best... I would have had my best player in that game. But because he got uh, you know, a slight tweak on the Saturday, he wasn't available for Tuesday. We got beat. Therefore, you know, our normal penalty taker wasn't on the pitch. You're going to have more and more clubs complaining. Whereas if you stop it, then you've got Leeds and West Brom, uh, Portsmouth and whoever it is, you know, down the line. But you, you will have some clubs that will have genuine grievances and may well try to litigate uh, for, com- for compensation. But you won't have every single club in, the li- in, in, in all four leagues saying it wasn't fair, which is what you, the danger of what you end up with. That's my own personal opinion. Well, we will see what they do and how we do finish or not finish this season in the coming weeks. I suppose that's the annoying thing at the moment is we're, we're having conversations but they're very much... Uh, up in the air and all sharing our, our crazy little ideas, which is fun. That's the annoying the fun thing, thing is, John, there was no football today and I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> what did you do, Colin? Oh, I did some chores. Oh, I went to the cinema with my with my uh, wife and two daughters and that, and that was lovely because I haven't done that on a Saturday afternoon for ages. And you did go and show them the film that you're in. The We went to see Military Wives and they did really enjoy it. So, I mean, I was a little bit nervous because you sort of think, well, I wonder if they're going to like it. I mean, the film as a whole, not just the fact that I'm in it. But um, yeah, this, there were there were some quite damp eyes by the end of it. So that was good because that is kind of, it is quite a moving tale. 
it's uplifting but also very sad in places so that was it was a nice afternoon I still would have rather watch Watford play Leicester City. <laughs> Those of us that were on Twitter this afternoon did get to see Watford play Leicester yes. City. Thanks to Watford and football manager, they ran a, um, they showed a video of a, um, uh, a game that they'd simmed uh, Watford against Leicester using using football manager. And I'll tell you what, it was quite quite alarming how true to life the uh, <laughs> the game was. It was a you saw a five five or six minute highlight package of the uh, of the game. Watford were down to ten men early. I think it was Etienne Capou who was. Dismissed. Reckless. It was reckless. Good old Etienne Capu. <laughs> probably taking his eye off the ball. What with the world events going on uh, around him. But Watford's uh, Watford's attack was excellent. They did. You know, I'm still a stuck record. Even though there isn't a game, I'm still going to get a chance to say it. <laughs> Watford did all the hard work. Got into the final third and spurned their chances again and again and again. Went one nil behind uh, and equalised right at the end with an absolute stormer from Roberto Pereira. So uh, it was it was. Excellent from excellent from Watford, obviously benefiting from uh, from that link up with uh, with football manager. It was absolutely sensational. And how true to life it was was absolutely hilarious. The other thing I liked was um, uh, Southampton tried to play the Southampton official Twitter feed tried to play Norwich because they're supposed to be playing Norwich today at Norts and Crosses. It was it was at Man City, was it? Well, Man City stepped in because Norwich ah. didn't respond. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that as well. Uh, no, the, the only thing I didn't like about the football manager uh, simulation was uh, the fact that Ben was playing the ball out to his defence and they were inside the box. I don't think we've Ooh. ever played like that. So, we'd, you know, we've played short passes, agreed, but I don't think we've ever done the danger of having two defenders no. uh, in the 18-yard line. Yeah, absolutely. And what I loved, John, we got it after our um, comments on Thursday in the in the Thursday preview podcast, the first preview podcast that's previewed a game that didn't happen. Um, but we mentioned, we said, Ben Foster shows no sign of slowing down, <laughs> talking about his career. And someone was very quick on Twitter to say, yeah, unless we're protecting a narrow lead, <laughs> which I thought was uh, which I thought was excellent. Yeah, we're, we're, we will see what, uh, what happens. Uh, but how do you feel... A few podcasts where there's no games to talk about. Well, we've got a few ideas. And this is the first one. Today, we will be creating the... Hornet! So, gentlemen, we have a task in front of us. We have to find and create a player. Picking from the best players in Watford's history to create one ultimate Mighty Morphing Hornet Ranger. There's a few rules. You know I like my rules for anybody who listened to the best uh, 11 players who ever played for Watford in the top division, uh, which you can listen to. It came out last June. I reckon it's about episode 10.3, maybe. We have to have at least one player from each of the last four decades. Can we include the 70s, John, just because I'm really old and I can remember a few players who played in the 70s? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we probably won't be able to... Uh, uh, critique you back, but let, let's see what we, we come up with. Um, so we can't repeat a player. Uh, also, you can't have Troy Deeney's foot, head, all the rest of it. We have to sort of have a different player for every single element. We're going to look at the mentality of the player. We're going to look at the uh, the, the facial and uh, aesthetic appearance of the players. Plus also, of course, the two most important thing, the feet. But first, we need to figure out what position this player is going to play. I think... He should be a box-to-box midfielder with the ability to attack and score and the ability to defend. Mike, agree or disagree? I have to agree. Sounds like a uh, very useful addition to any side, that. Jason, let's start, though, with the attitude. 
the attitude of which Watford player do you want it to have? I've got a, a couple of candidates and I think the first one might surprise a few people because when he left Watford it was under a bit of a cloud uh, but I'm going to start the bidding with Andy Hessenthaler mm-hmm. we've got a player here who came from non-league got his chance to play professional football with Watford and you knew it the minute he stepped on the pitch his, his work rate his determination was incredible um, and you could always see that every time he put on a, on a Watford shirt and that's the sort of attitude I think we need in our uh, in our mighty morphing power hornet but then also I want our player to enjoy playing and I'm going to pick a man from the current squad we all know that Ben Foster is such a nice guy. We see it all over social media these days, all the the lovely things he's done uh, for our fan base um, and even for other fan bases in in, uh, recent weeks. He plays with a smile on his face and I love that. John, I think you commented after the Tottenham game when he uh, was taking the mickey out of Spurs when they almost scored at the end when Paceto Nacho Man cleared that one off the line. Um, how close it was to getting over the line. And I, I just love that about Ben. Um, so I want, I want a, a player who's going to work hard, be determined, but also is going to enjoy playing with a smile on his face. Well, I don't think we can go wrong with Ben, can we, Mike? No, absolutely not. And he, he, he was on my shortlist as well. He's had a, had a long career. Like Jason said, he plays, plays with a smile on his face, completely understands the, the importance of Watford and their role in the community. And at the, at the, he's fit as a butcher's dog. He's out, I saw he was out cycling again today. So I think we'll get, we'll get that lung-busting, box-to-box um, uh, element of his game that, you're, uh, that we want out of him. So absolutely fantastic. But I'm surprised you've missed two names off the, off the list straight away, Jace. Uh, when it comes to attitude, Xavier Gravelin and uh, Ramon for me <laughs> two of the people who go who least likely that you'd ever want to play for Watford ever again because I don't even think they even wanted to play play then I'm going to throw one in the mix so if you don't mind John is going to tell me off for, for, for elongating this answer but I think attitude is everything mental mental approach is everything in, in football and you talked about Andy Hessenthal a great shout but he did leave Watford under a cloud so how about someone who you can't argue um, at all for his um, commitment to Watford Football Club um, and football in, in, in general. What about Nigel Gibbs? So I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to have to put one in the pot as well so I, I can't just let Mike um, railroad that, that answer. I think Jason's answers are great. I would like to put Steve Palmer into that quartet of players potentially because the great thing about uh, Steve Palmer was that he was, uh, he was a box-to-box midfielder, more defensive probably, but also his, his mental attitude and the way he led the team during some very difficult times was outstanding and he always stood up tall he always um you know he never hid away and uh yeah his attitude on the pitch when he walked on the pitch he just thought that's a man that you can rely on and also the the hold of a record of course the only uh player to wear what was it one two one to fourteen was it that you wore in that season? Oh, is that yeah, right? Yeah. That. yeah, that's right. Well, so I think we're going to have to stick with Gravelin and uh, and Vega, aren't we? Surely. <laughs> I'm going to say no. I think for for attitude, longevity, I'm going to go with Sir Nigel Gibbs for the attitude. Michael, then it's a box to box midfielder. They need to have the ability to attack and, of course, defend. Which players' defensive stability do you think we should? add to our mighty morphing Hornet Ranger? I've got a couple of suggestions, if I may. Uh, one of them, uh, on behalf of my mother, the, uh, the remains the apple of our eye, uh, John McClelland. Absolutely superb defensively. He had incredible pace as well, strength. He had the lot, really, didn't he, as a, as a Watford footballer? So I think we could uh, we could certainly look to, uh, to include John McClelland. But the other one, 
perhaps some, some people might have forgotten about, but one of the probably one of the most consummate defenders to play the game, perhaps even. Uh, Filippo Gali, we were lucky enough to have just for just for a season, wasn't it? But what a player he was! So if we could we could extract Filippo Gali at his his prime and, uh, and and imbibe his qualities into our mighty morphing power hornet, then uh, I think we'd have done pretty well. Colin, any uh, any other defensive players you think we should be considering? Well, I think Ian Bolton probably is a is a reasonable shout because in uh, you know in Taylor's first spell we were all about transitioning and getting the ball forward and wide to Barnes and Callahan and up to the forwards and trying to create as many chances in a game as possible. Bolton was the man who tried to sort of act not only as a pivot in transition, but also to sit in front of the back four. And uh, again, another one with fantastic mental attitude. So I'd like to throw him into the mix. Jace, who are you going to pick? Funnily enough, I'm going to pick someone that Collins just mentioned in the previous category, and that was Stevie Palmer. For me, defensive stability is all about calmness, collectiveness, as uh, as Colin mentioned, he was he he was a defensive midfielder. Uh, I think it was his sort of natural position, but then he sort of dropped to play in the back four um, a lot of the time whilst at Watford. And whilst he was there as well, he he was playing alongside Robert Page, who was uh, who was probably our, our youngest captain. I think that that we've we've ever had. He was a, a young lad still, and just sort of eased him into or sort of eased him into professional football, but. Was that senior figure, that sort of I don't know, father figure to to Pagey um, in that partnership they created at the back there? And I think our our power Hornet, he's going to be the senior player in the side, so we're going to need someone like that to uh, to oversee the rest of the team around him and sort of see them through the games and drag them through the game. So he's got the right qualities for me. So basically, Jason, you are adding to uh, the overall attitude by adding Steve Palmer. Uh, I think. Having seen it all, I think for me, the man I think I'm going to add, I've got to add big Johnny Mac, John McLennan, to have the defensive stability. So let's think about that, that attacking prowess, Colin. Which player do you think has the best attacking prowess that this box-to-box, mighty morphing Hornet Ranger could, uh, could have? It's very difficult to come up with um, obvious candidates because there are so many. But if we're looking for someone perhaps more recent, uh, in the history of Watford, in a box-to-box role, but with a, a more attacking bent rather than defensive, then I would have to go firstly with Abdullahi Dekore, who I think has been really pretty excellent throughout his Watford career. He's had a couple of dips in form, mostly when he was being asked to play further back. But when he's been given the freedom to get forward, his technique, his pace, his willingness to run, his ability on the ball, his scoring... I think makes him an outstanding candidate for that part of our of our composite player. The other person that it's very hard because obviously we've had some great wide players, but we're talking about a box to box midfielder. And I think I'm going to save up the person that I was going to say for for something else. But if I look back through um, through history, I'm struggling really to find a candidate that is as good technically. Uh, and it's and it also the epitome of a modern footballer. Incredibly fit, very lean, um, very good on the ball, good off the ball, but can score. I'm going with I'm going with Dukes. I'm surprised, surprised. I thought Mr. Amon Abdi Mike would be up there. What do you? What? Who, who would you pick out of those two? 
Well, well, look, I think I've got, I've got to add to this as well. We're looking at attacking prowess. You've, you were very explicit, John. You want someone who can put the ball in, in the back of the net. And you have to look at people who have scored goals in, I think, for Watford. Record goal scorer, of course, is, is, is Luther. We've got Troy from the current crop. Kevin Phillips, perhaps one that got away a little bit early. Mm. Um, Nigel Callaghan, he's from, with Luther. He's in from the, from the 80s. So perhaps we'll park those two. What about this one? Because he had something a little bit different as well. He was at the Vic uh, for the Liverpool game. Haider Helgerson knows where the ball is, st- uh, knows where the goal is, strong, prodigious leap. Um, I'd like to see him in a sort of standing, jumping competition against uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, it just brings that bit of anarchic chaos, doesn't it? There was always a bit of struck panic into opposition defences, largely because I think sometimes he didn't know what he was going to do, let alone the um, let alone the opposition defence. And I quite like that in a player, someone that someone that causes panic, causes worry. Um, I just like the idea of having a bit of uh, the power and vim and vigour of uh, and the un- unpredictability of uh, of Heide Helgerson in there. I think I've got to agree with you, Mike. I think he yes, needs come on, the attacking John. prowess of Haider Helgerson. Jason, we need an engine, though. We need a sort of a strength for going the entire 90 minutes. Is there a, a player who, who does that for you? Well, I've, I've had a bit of fun with this one. I'm, I'm going on into the fun bits early. Um, I don't know if ever, anyone ever remembers Trevor Putney, but he used to run around like a headless chicken. And if we're just taking this little bit of him, this this engine that he had, doesn't matter about the rest of it, doesn't matter if he was if he was crap, um, because he would just run and run and run. So for an engine, for me, Trevor Putney. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. It's the only way Trevor Putney's ever going to get any say in a mighty morphing Hornet Ranger. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. So our mighty morphing Hornet range at the moment has the, the attitude of Sir Nigel Gibbs, defensive stability of John McLennan, the attacking prowess of Haider Helgerson and the work engine of Trevor Putney. Yes, this is maybe not a Power Ranger, more a Frankenstein monster, but we'll, we'll see where we go. If anyone's predicted this so far, by the way, <laughs> I will pay for their season ticket next year. We now need to look at them. Maybe this monster needs to look a bit prettier and a bit nicer. None of this is anything to do with their footballing ability. We need to know and put their facial features together. Jason, yourself and Michael, slightly follically challenged. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Slightly. But whose hair should this player have Richard Hill's mullet oh Oh, of course absolutely that's maybe keeping the monstrosity but well you can't go anywhere else facial hair I would have gone for Perry Digweed by the way for his hair he's he's absolutely transfixed by that bouffant (laughs) that he used to to take to the field with facial hair one of my favourite players of all time the moustache of the immortal Tony Coton oh you see I thought the moustache would come from Steve Sims because uh, the, the, the depth Sorry, I'd have gone um, Gary Penrice. We all we all know what his nickname was, and there's only one reason he had that nickname for that fantastic <laughs> moustache. Well, Mike, I, I think we should go with Gary, and I, I say that because facial hair, Mike. I think you're right. It is about an '80s moustache. I think it would still be good uh, in the modern world of of football, uh, and still be stylish. And can you see maybe Tony and any of his his ability to come out anywhere else in this in this player? Because once we've used him, we can't use him again. Well, perhaps his his ferocity, maybe perhaps his sort of um, ability to organise. So maybe he could be captain. Maybe are we going to pick a pick a captain? Could yeah. that be Tony Coton, or or is this sort of slightly? Um 
uh, dubious um, disciplinary record going to count against him? I say not. If we're not putting him in for his tash, let's put him in for his organisational uh, skills and the fact that he obviously just scared the absolute bejesus out of the opposition, I think. OK, the fire of Tony Coton and Perfect. the facial hair of Gary Penrice. <laughs> what about thighs, Colin? I think we need some good thighs. There have been some amazing thighs in Watford's history. Uh, two players who played on either side of the pitch at the same time, both of them had incredible thighs. John Barnes had amazing thighs. He still does. He said they're the thing at the, uh, from the um, uh, Tales from the, the Vic Live. He said that his thighs were the thing he was most proud of. On the other side of the pitch, we've also heard from Callahan at one of those events, and he said that when he turned up at the club, he, they... He had these enormous thighs because he was an, an absolutely insane cyclist as a young man and his thighs were, were, were brilliant. But if I was to pick one player, one player who had, I think, just not just thighs, but the greatest legs possibly ever, uh, and this might come a bit out of left field for some mm -hmm. people, but I am going to go with Paul Furlong's legs. I don't think I can disagree with that one. Mm. Pearl, furlongs, <laughs> legs, but particularly thighs. Uh, Jason, what about... Eyes. Just, just going back on the thighs one. I just, I did have that conversation with my, uh, with my missus earlier as to, as to what we should look at for thighs. I was going Michelle and Gongi. She said Danny Shitu. So oh, okay. Put, well, put those Danny Shitu's thighs were uh, extraordinary. Mm. <laughs> um, but anyway, back to the, back to the eyes. I hadn't, hadn't really thought about this one, but um, there was a name mentioned earlier, and there was a risk that, that he probably wasn't going to get into, uh, into this, into this piece. But I'm going to put him in because he did have the weirdest eyes going, and that's Xavier Gravelin. <laughs> big, big, starey plates, and just, just, just really strange so we i think we should we should get them in there they'd go well with richard hill's mullet there's another pair of eyes that i love they are the similar too. to similar to the erstwhile frenchman's they are they're absolutely enormous you could lose themselves you can lose yourself in them they're, they're like eyes no one else has got and not just in the premier league but anywhere in uh, in football i don't think they're just glorious big captivating eyes and pupils uh, those of harry the hornet no, <laughs> I don't think we can include I was him. going to go for um, Holobass's eyes just yeah. because of the way that he looks at a linesman okay. or a referee when he's absolutely outraged by the injustice of the decision. I think we'll have to go with Mr. Jose Holobass. But Mike, yeah. this is going to be a, a, an obvious one, surely. Whose teeth should this mighty morphing Hornet Ranger have? John Eustace, next. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. And we have got John into the list, which is fantastic. So the hair of Richard Hill, the facial hair of Gary Payne Rice, the thighs and legs of Paul Furlong, the teeth of John Eustace and the eyes of Jose Holabas. Just just thinking about this this guy, I think I saw a counterfeit of him for robbing a, a Waitrose a couple of weeks ago on Crime Stoppers. <laughs> Waitrose, that's way above, way above his level. <laughs> You're listening to From the Rookery End. Now, the most important two, the final two things we need to pick, the feet. Now, I'm going to be a bit open with this one. They don't have to have a left and a right foot. They, We, we can take the power of, let's say, uh, a right foot or a left foot and, and, and put it somewhere else. So the two feet. And for me, it needs to be that, that ability to whack a ball in the back of the net and it needs to be the ability to skillfully control the ball. Michael, where's your head going with, with both those skills? Well, I've got, I've got a little trio here, if you'll indulge me. The skill 
for the skill side of things, I don't think we've ever seen anyone quite as talented as uh, as John Barnes in a in a, in a yellow shirt. It, it just yeah. had, the, had the ball on on strings, just so smooth, uh, magical. And I think it is sometimes worth going back just to look at um, look at John Barnes playing for Watford and just the way he it was mesmeric, absolutely. It was poetry in motion. Very very occasionally you get these players who just look like they were put on earth to do it, and and John Barnes was was one of those. So his feet would be would be pretty helpful. I think one of the current crop as well. We've seen him spray beautiful balls all over the, all over the shop, setting up goals. Etienne Capou, so for his his yes. passing ability, I think I think Capou needs to be in there. But also a friend of ours. He joined us on the uh, he joined us on the walk when we walked from um, um, where did we start? St Albans to to, yep. to Wembley. And one of the key things you mentioned there, John, someone who knows how. You, I think you said someone who could whack it into the goal. Uh, well, this guy could certainly whack it into the goal. Boom, boom, boom. Let me hear you say, Jono. Jono. So, yeah, I think Richard Johnson's, one of his feet might be might be worth popping in there. Perhaps uh, the, the skill of Barnes uh, mixed up beautifully with the uh, with the ferocious power of, uh, of Jono's uh, uh, thunder boot uh, might be pretty, uh, pretty, pretty impressive, I reckon. Jason, could you, can you disagree with that? No, I can't because the two that I'd picked were Etienne Capou for his uh, for his passing ability and Jono for his thunder bastards. Um, I, I, I can't I can't disagree with Michael at all there. I think Barnsley gets in just for the way he used to roll the ball on his on the sole of his foot and deceive a player and then beat him. But I've got one more that we should put in, and I think if we're looking for a player with two left feet, we could definitely nominate. Devon White. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, think, I, I, I am going to make the decision. I say it's going to be one foot from John Barnes and one foot from Richard Johnson. Now, we've got through all these players. Currently, this is what our mighty morphing Hornet Ranger looks like. He has the attitude of Sir Nigel Gibbs. He has the defensive stability of John McLennan, the attacking prowess of Hyder Helgerson, and the work engine of Trevor Putney. His hair is styled like Richard Hill. His facial hair groomed like <laughs> Gary Penrice. The thighs and legs of Paul Furlong. The eyes of Jose Holabas. And the teeth of John Eustace. His feet are made up from one of John Barnes and one of Richard Johnson. What else? Who else do we need to give a, a special je ne sais quoi to this Watford yeah. player? Colin. I've got one player that I think would come in under the... Uh, well, he could get in under two categories possibly just pure pace, but also the beautiful grace with which he played the game. And I'm having to go back to my childhood for this, but anyone who is over 50 will be nodding their heads if I put forward a certain Stuart Scullion to go in under gracefulness. Pace and grace, that's fantastic. Mike? Hashtag pace and grace. Um, I think we need uh, we need someone who's going to be actors like a social secretary, aren't we? Someone who's going to um, <laughs> just look, just keep everything, to keep everyone smiling, have a have an eye for the for the good times. So I think, um, and he was also a pretty good player as well. Didn't he? Didn't play long for Watford, but Mo Johnson, I think, would be be worth having mm-hmm. in for that little um, tinkerish little gene that he certainly uh, had in him. Uh, so yeah, let's let's get a bit of mighty Mo in there somehow. So for his uh, his social skills, yeah. uh, Mo Johnson. I want to put Troy Deeney in, of course, uh, but particularly the ability to communicate with everybody, be it fan, be it manager, press, or even referee. Jason, who else needs to be added to our, our what are the skills and personas and 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 features or anything to his some players that this mighty morphing Hornet Ranger needs? 
Right, I'm just uh, going to bring someone in from the current squad. Someone we've we've got us, uh, we've got our flair and our skill and our looks, and I just want to calm it down a little. We've got uh, a man who's recently been described by Nigel Pearson as being someone that you want at the at the coalface with you, and he was on my uh, on some of my shortlist when thinking about this earlier. So I'm going to bring Adrian Mariapa uh, into into our uh, into our Frankenstein slash mighty morphine power hornet. So we have quite the player. Hold on a minute, hold on a minute. There's an absentee here. Oh, okay, go on then. There's one, there's one player. I agree totally about Troy, and I think he could go in under the best communicator or, or, or club ambassador because he has been brilliant for us in the last six or seven years, uh, playing that role of linking with the fans and with the media and really being that one player that really stands out and, and says what he thinks. I love that about him. But there is one absentee in this uh, in this morphing mighty morphing hornet uh, and that is the player with the highest number of appearances and the highest numbers of goals scored because currently we don't have any of luther in this uh, created <laughs> hornet so i think he should just go in under the word outstanding because he's got the most appearances and the most goals he's in we need legendary the, status yeah, yeah they need legendary that sort status of, there we are that's why he's in he is quite the player but michael how much are we going to put him on the market for? Because, hey, this is Watford. We've got to sell him at some point. Well, he's got an impeachable attitude, hasn't he? Defensively, he does the work. Going forward, he's, he's unpredictable and exciting. He's skillful. He can shoot. Um, he can tackle. He can keep going for, for 90 minutes into extra time and take penalties thanks to his newly installed two-litre Trevor Putney engine. <laughs> he looks the part, so in terms of he's going to sell, he's going to sell shirts. Yeah. He's, he is the real deal. He would, it would have to be a record amount of money to sign this player. I don't imagine there'd be anyone that could could even come close. He's going to be the first two hundred million pound player. Well, you heard it here first. All we have to do now is it degrees in uh, genome uh, and then get a bunch of um, blood samples from a, a fair few old Watford players. Um, this is uh, good fun and we hope to do a few more of these over the coming weeks whilst the football season is on pause. Uh, but we'll be with you again every week and maybe even a bit more frequently at least uh, to do some of these podcasts. Thank you very much, Jason. Thank you. And thank you, Michael. More than welcome. And Colin. Thank you very much. Even if there isn't a game, forevermore, whenever we finish, we will always keep saying, Come on, you all!